next week, not this morning. Tonight we continue our electives. What a tremendous crowd last Sunday night. And I hope that uh, you'll join us tonight, even if you weren't able to be here last week. There is a brochure available out in the lobby if you'd like to know what electives are available. Still room for you, and I think most of them. A couple of them may be filled, but uh, you can check tonight, and there surely will be room somewhere for you to fit in. Well, this week is an important week. Does anybody know what day it contains? Groundhog Day was last week. Washington's birthday is next week. This is Valentine's week, right? And I'm sure all of you remembered that and probably have already ordered your corsage or your candy for your sweetheart, correct? Now you will. It's one thing to say that we love someone. It's another thing to show it. Words without actions are not very meaningful, are they? This is an opportunity for you to show that one that you say you love, that you really do love her or love him. Likewise, we say that we love Jesus Christ, and we have sung that this morning. But I wonder if we love what Jesus loves. If we love someone, we will want to spend time with them. We will want to be involved in the same things that they enjoy. Is that true with Jesus? Do we spend time with him, and are we involved in that which is the delight of his heart? You say, well, what is the delight of his heart? Well, the answer is not hard to come up with. The answer is the church. For he loved the church, and he gave himself for the church. Jesus Christ loves his church. And you and I are called upon to love it as well. And to show our love in ways beyond words. That's what the Apostle begins to talk about in our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Today we're just going to take the first four verses of this longer paragraph. It begins in verse 19 where it says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The duty of the believer to the local church, a duty that comes out of love in his heart for Christ and for what Christ's love is, that duty can be stated in three simple ideas that are found at the end of this chapter. This morning we're going to deal with the first one, be sensitive to the Spirit. If you and I want to love what Jesus loves, the church, we must do so, first of all, by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we thus become a responsible member of the church. I remind you that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not peripheral to the church. That, in fact, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is central to what we are all about. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, where we find in verse 13 this tremendous truth. He says, For by one Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. He says, We were, past tense, all 
Every one of us, whether carnal or spiritual, mature in the Lord or brand new babe in Christ, we were all baptized into one body. This, my friend, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are never commanded to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we need not. It happens to us automatically at the moment that we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The result of that baptism is that we are placed into one body, identified with each other and Jesus Christ as our head. And he says we were all made to drink of one spirit. We all partake of that life that he alone can give. He unites us to Jesus Christ and to Christ's earthly body. And then the Holy Spirit likewise gifts us at the same time, the moment we're saved. Notice in verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he lists a number of the gifts. And he says in verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit is not a peripheral issue with regard to the church. We wouldn't be the church if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't be gifted to serve Jesus Christ as we are if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. He sovereignly chooses which gifts you and I will have to develop and use for Christ in this lifetime. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That is our duty to the church and our duty to the Christ whom we say we love. If we want to send him a valentine this week, let it say this on it. Jesus, I love you and I love your church. If we love the church, we will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit is defined for us in the text we've read this morning. To be sensitive to the Spirit means, in the first place, not to quench the Spirit. Not to quench the Spirit. He is present within the church as its very life. We have all been made to drink of him. He is the source of life and of power in the church. Just as a fire in the belly of a steam locomotive heats that boiler and produces steam, giving it the power to move those gigantic wheels and to pull that train. So the Holy Spirit is the fire within the bosom of Christ's body, the church, which produces the power and the energy to get the job done God left us here to do. Do not quench this fire. To quench him does not mean to entirely extinguish him, for he is God. He can't be completely extinguished. He cannot be suffocated or destroyed, but he can be opposed, he can be resisted. We can say no to him, 
And when we do, we quench him. The way that the apostle expresses this is in the imperative, and it's continuous, it's present. And so he is really saying, stop quenching the spirit, if you interpret it one way. The suggestion may be here that, in fact, the Thessalonians were doing some things which were in opposition to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And so Paul says, stop quenching the Spirit. Or it can be read to mean, make it the pattern of your life never to say no to the Holy Spirit. The bottom line is the same. We don't want to quench Him. Although there are some who do in my opinion, abuse the place of the Holy Spirit in the church. Most of us are generally much better at resisting him and at ignoring him than we are at heeding and obeying him. Vance Havner was one of my favorite preachers. It was a joy to meet him on several occasions, to have him preach in a church where I was pastoring He had a quaint way of saying things. On one occasion, he reminded his audience of this verse by telling of a poorly educated friend of his who used to say, don't squench the spirit. His friend had unintentionally combined the word quench and squelch and came out with squench. And Havner says, what an appropriate word to create. Don't squench the spirit. He went on to say, we squench the Spirit in more ways than we suspect. We do so when we stifle the desire to speak or act for the Lord. When we criticize or discourage others by an unspiritual attitude, we throw cold water on their inner fire. We have the Holy Spirit as an honored guest, he says, in every Christian gathering, and he can be grieved very easily. A frivolous attitude, a rebellious frame of mind, or a fed-up complacency will do it. And so, if we want to show our love for the church that Jesus loves, and thus love him, we will not squench the Spirit. But if we're going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, it also means not to despise prophetic utterances. These utterances were words spoken by those who had the gift of prophecy in their church. They were timely words of direct revelation and exhortation from the Lord to his dearly beloved people. Perhaps it was an abuse of this gift that caused some to look down upon it, to despise it, to make nothing of it. Or perhaps there were those who were giving counterfeit prophecies that that caused them to overreact and to look upon prophecy with contempt. We don't really know the source of this command, but Paul does say, do not despise prophetic utterances. Today we understand that God is not giving prophecy in the sense of doctrinal, propositional revelation. Truth has been already delivered to us in this book, the Bible, and with its completion, 
revelation ceased. We have everything that we need in the Bible. It is sufficient for our every need and desire. However, God does still today give insight and wisdom to other believers to counsel you and me and the church. In one sense, these are prophetic utterances. You see, God does put timely words into the mouths of others to give us counsel or exhortation. It's important to understand that these utterances, if they're of God, must always, without exception, be consistent with the Bible. But based upon the principles of the Word and people's insight of us that God may give them, they're able to deliver to us prophetic utterances, and we must be careful not to despise them. We will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when we take time to listen to what others are saying through the body of Christ. When we take time to hear the voice of God speaking to us through them, we must not despise the ministry of others in the body to us. They can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit to us sometimes when we have a hard time hearing it. And because of that, we are to consider and to weigh what they have to say. We must listen, of course, to the proclaimed Word of God. When we hear the Word of God preached and applied to our lives, it is being done so that we might hear the voice of God and take heed and obey what God has to say. We must not despise prophetic utterances in that way either. Tragedy and loss comes to us when we do not listen to God. Two young women lost their lives in a fire that swept through their apartment some time ago. Ironically, their apartment was equipped with smoke detectors, which were in good working order, but they died of smoke inhalation. Why had these smoke detectors failed to operate? Well, they wanted to find out, and so the fire inspectors examined them and found that there had been a party in the house the night before, and because they did not want the smoke alarms going off during the party, they deactivated them and forgot to reconnect them when the party was done. And consequently, tragedy struck that night, and they lost their lives. You and I need to beware of disconnecting our hearts from the voice of God. For when we do that, we leave ourselves vulnerable and in danger of tragedy in our lives. Do not despise the voice of the Spirit of God. Be sensitive to Him. And if you and I would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and thus love the church, this church, the local church that Jesus loves, then we must finally examine everything carefully. It is not a compliment to any of us 
to recognize that we live in a day when many Christians are naive and gullible. There are too many Christians who believe everything they're told, if it's claimed that that's true or it came from God. I've heard people applaud and listen carefully to those who've said they've died and gone to hell and come back to life, or died and gone to heaven and come back to life, and people sit at their feet and they're put on television shows and proclaimed. Examine carefully what is said to come from God. He tells us to do that. Any test, of course, requires a definite standard. If you're a student, you know that when you take a test, the teacher will receive the results from you and will compare your answers to what's in the answer book. Because those answers in the answer book determine the standard. And what you put down is measured according to the standard. Now, what is the standard when it comes to these utterances of prophecy? What is claimed to be from God? What is the test? Well, the test has to be definite. So what can be definite? Well, of course, the Word of God. We must measure, we must put to the test everything by the Word of God. Whether that be counsel that someone may give us, that they say the Lord told them, or it's someone who's preaching from the pulpit of the church. We must put to the test what is said by the Word of God. That's our responsibility if we love the church. I remember an occasion when a friend who moved to another state and got involved in a different kind of ministry wrote me a letter and said, I know why you left your former church. God told me. And he said, you need to deal with the spirit of fear in your life. God told me that you left that church because you were afraid of throat cancer. Now before God, I want to tell you, throat cancer had never entered my mind till that point. I had to put to the test what this brother was saying to me. He got his message somewhere, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. We have to put to the test everything. We can put to the test, put it to the test of the authoritative traditions of the apostles. That's what Paul was talking about here to the Thessalonians. They had limited written revelation at this point. Now today there are no apostles, so we don't have to really worry about this. But in those days, in addition to the Old Testament scriptures, they had the authoritative traditions that the apostles were passing on to them. Perhaps another test might be pointed to, which is valid today, and that is the nature and the result of the prophecy. Did this person who gave you the word, did that result in growth? Did it result in maturity in your life, or was it something less? There are some people who have been told that it is God's will for them to leave their wives and their families and to go off to live with a group of Christians in a communal situation. Can that, in fact, be a voice from God? 
Well, in the first place, such a thing is absolutely contradictory to the Bible. But secondly, it did not produce maturity and growth. It produced disaster. Now he says, when you've put it to the test, hang on to what is good, what's past the standard. If you don't do that, you're quenching the spirit. But on the other hand, what has been found to be evil, which may mean what has been found to be false, pseudo-prophecies, he says, treat those with contempt. Not to do that is to quench the spirit. In these sentences, we have briefly outlined for us what it means to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Paul lays down for us the importance of the ministry of the Spirit of God in our midst. How do we apply this idea to ourselves, living many centuries later? Well, we've done some of that. But let me conclude by saying that we apply this idea of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit by the choices that we make every day of our lives. We choose either to quench the Spirit by refusing His voice, opposing His leading, by believing anything that comes along, by not giving heed to the Word of God and obeying it, we quench the Spirit. Or, we choose to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit who lives in us by heeding His voice. There are two kinds of yielding to the Spirit of God that, that we need to think about. There seems to be the kind of yielding that Romans 12.1 suggests. Present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. It might be called an initial yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's the same kind of idea that's found in Romans chapter 6, where I would like you to turn. And verse 13. Romans 6.13. He says, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now that first present is in the present tense. It means do not do what you're now doing. Do not as a habit of life present the members of your body to sin so that sin can abuse you. But, he says, present yourselves to God. It's the same verb, but it's a different way of saying it. Here he means present once and for all yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Here we have a definite yielding to the Holy Spirit, to God's will, which brings blessing in our lives in our usefulness to him. It is a once and for all decision to accept God's rule as the basis of life. It doesn't have reference to any particular concern or issue. It is a yielding that says, I accept the will of God for my life, even though I don't even know at this point what that means. It's an initial yielding. But there's a different kind of yielding, which our text really speaks to. 
And that's what I would call a daily yielding. A daily yielding. Which is a surrender with regard to specific direction that God may give us. Or a yielding with regard to a particular struggle that we're having at that moment. It is a reiteration of Christ's right to rule in our life. And it needs to happen every day. To be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and thus yielded to the will of God is a duty. And not to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and not to be yielded to the will of God is to live in disobedience and in sin. We're talking about an obligation on our part. If we say that we love Jesus, then it means that we must love what Jesus loves, his church. And if we love his church and we love Jesus, we must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Have you come to that place in your life where there's been that initial yielding? Where in your walk with God you have driven the stake down and you have said, I do not know what the will of God is for my life, but at this moment I am choosing to present myself and all that I am to Him. And if you've done that, are you daily yielding to the Lordship of Christ in your life? Are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit? A number of years ago, back in the horse and buggy days, there was a man who was driving along a road with his wife and their buggy. And they came to a place where there was a sharp ravine on her side of the buggy. And the road was narrow and she got scared and so she reached over and she grabbed one of the reins to the horse. Now her husband reacted calmly to the situation. He simply offered to her the other rein. And she said, oh no, I don't want both of them. And he said, well my dear, we can't both have a rein to the horse. And then she realized that by grabbing the rein she had really endangered her life. And she put the rein back in her husband's hand and on they went safely. Isn't that something like what we do? We come to a point in life where there's a ravine, where we think we are in danger, or where we're going to experience something that we might not enjoy, and we reach over and we grab one of the reins from God. Not both of them. We're Christians after all. But one of them. And somehow we think that that gives us security when we have done just the opposite. We have made a very foolish decision. The wisest decision we can make is to simply put the reins in the hands of God and say, drive on, Lord. I'm talking to some people this morning who are sitting in the buggy with one of the reins in your hand. And the Lord is saying, here, you take the other one too. Or else give them both to me.
and you know what needs to happen. Will you let him have the reins? Will you let him be the one to guide you? Will you yield to him either in that important, that all-important initial surrender or in a surrender over some particular issue that has arisen since that perhaps was done years ago in your life? Let's pray together. There was a young man one time who was having a difficult time in his walk with God. He knew that God wanted him to do a particular thing, and yet he struggled with that because he wasn't willing at that point to do it. His godly mother, desiring to be a ministry to him, took some construction paper, and out of the construction paper, she made six letters that simply said, L-E-T-G-O-D, let God. Her point was, let God have his way. And she put those on the desk in his room. He saw them, was convicted by them, knew what they meant, was not willing to let God have his way. And so he went out the door and slammed it as he went. And coming back sometime later, he went to his desk and realized that when he had slammed the door, a gust of wind was created which took the D away from those six letters, leaving let go on his desk and God used that to strike his heart and break him and he yielded to the will of Jesus Christ in his life my friend that's your need and mine this morning too to let go and to let God have his way I wonder if you're here and you need to make that initial yielding to Jesus Christ And you would be willing to say, I will love Jesus Christ and I will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and yield myself to him. And I am making this once and for all decision. I'm putting down my stake this morning. If that's your case, would you stand where you are? This is my once and for all decision. I'm yielding myself to God's will. I'm presenting myself and the instruments of my body, the members of my body to him. Just stand where you are. Just to let go. God bless you. I would imagine there are many here who have done that, but there may be some issues, particular, specific issues that have arisen And you need to say, I will let go and let God have his way. I surrender today and I will tomorrow to the Holy Spirit. I'll be sensitive to him. I've not heard his voice. I've been struggling with God. But I yield today. Would you also stand? This is not the initial. You've done that. But now there are some particular issues and struggles in your life. And you're saying, I will yield to the Holy Spirit. God bless you. God will honor your decision. God bless you.
It will open new channels of usefulness of God in your life. Yes. I yield to the Holy Spirit to be sensitive to Him. Let's all stand together now. Father, I thank you for these who have responded in a particular way to your voice in their lives today. And whatever those issues are, may they be fully and dealt with by yieldedness, by a fresh sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Sing with me. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we want to prove that love by loving what you love, the church. We recognize that part of our responsibility in loving the church is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because the way that we each treat the Holy Spirit affects all of us. And so as we walk out from here today, it is with a sense of yieldedness and waiting upon you and excitement to know what the next step is in our adventure in your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.